Anyone read ahead? Spoiler alert. The idea here, we're going to see Abraham. Um, you ever make the same mistake twice? <laughs> or is it just me? Like, we're, we're prone to the making the same mistake twice, and the scriptures are going to record the failings of Abraham. Now, it's there for our learning. We can learn from his mistakes, or we're going to continue to make our own. But we're going to see how God intervenes through his sovereignty and how he treats all the parties involved here. God is never surprised at our failings. You and I may be surprised at our failings, right? And that's our pride, right? Your pride really thinks you're greater than you really are. Or on the reverse side, sometimes your pride says you're just, you're a worthless heap and God can never use you. You know, you got to avoid that thought too. But sometimes you, you fail the test and then God is so gracious to turn you back around and take the test again and again and again, right? That's the beauty of grace. Grace says you can't quit. And it also says you can't mature past this till you get it down pat, right? You ever find yourself like, why am I here again? Why am I on this merry-go-round in my life, you know? I mean, I don't know about you guys. You ever just, just sit there and go, stupid, 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 I did it again. It's like, yeah, habits. We have formed habits in our life. We're creatures of habit. Okay, you know how you know you're a creature of habit? Tonight, brush your teeth with the other hand. And come back and tell me how it works. If you're really brave, shave with the other hand. Oh, that's going to be a bloody mess, right? So we're creatures of habit. We have sinful muscle memory, okay? So verse 1, it says, And Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. So my question is, why did he move? He had a good gig. It seems whenever Abraham moves to the south, he gets into trouble. Did God tell him to move? We, we don't have a record of his motive. But really what he's <clears throat> doing is he's putting himself, himself in a place of temptation. We, we know this. We do this. You go to the bakery at the grocery store to make sure the maple bacon donuts aren't there just so you don't slip and fall into one, right? Anyone tracking with me? You know, or you, you open up the bag of Reese's peanut butter cups to demonstrate to the world you have such self-control and power over them that you'll only eat one. And you're able to walk away. So Abraham is putting himself in a place in temptation. And Christian, we can do this. How do you avoid that? You know, the Lord taught us how to pray, right? The, the Lord's Prayer. And he taught us in that prayer, not to say that prayer rotely like some denominations teach, but it's a template, right? It says, lead us not into, into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Do you ever pray that the Lord does, or that the Lord leads you away from temptation? There's a point, <clears throat> hopefully in our walk, where you have to put away the Cabela's catalog, you got to put away going on eBay on payday at 11 o'clock at night where you're vulnerable and you're just like, oh man, I just bought a pack of 1984 Topps baseball cards because I could win that Don Mattingly. And you're like, I'm not 12. Why are you even looking at sports cards? You know, like there's, you know, you're vulnerable, you're on Amazon and it's like, oh, it's 38% off. I better get this now. You know, like don't, Put yourself in places of temptation where you know you're, you're prone to fall. But you, you just ask the Lord, hey, show me these areas I need to avoid. Okay. Verse 2, now Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Wait a second. I thought we went through all this with with Pharaoh down in Egypt. This is his pattern. This is his habit. But it says Abimelech took Sarah. What do you have to do with an elderly woman? Well, the scriptures indicate she was a righteous foxy mama. 
She was a looker. This is like Sophia Loren, right? This is like Raquel Welch. Remember all those stunning, beautiful actresses in the 80s that were like, you look at their age and you're like, she's in her 60s and her 70s. You're like, this is Sarah. She's a looker. You just don't take an elderly woman for the sake of doing so. But for Abimelech to take a woman as his wife and put her in a harem was more of a political move. It's an alliance. It's an allegiance. And Abraham does not put up a fight. Okay? He's supposed to be provider, protector here. But we're going to see he's not going to do that. He's created an alibi. Why did Abraham repeat his lapse of faith? Well, it's going to tell us it's out of fear. Fear leads us into all sorts of silly things, right? Fear will lead you to lying. It's really just an expression of of self-protection, okay? You've got to be careful. Look at the areas you could be lying on your W-2 form, your 1099s, um, your internet browser, I mean, things like that. Like, where are you not being truthful because of fear, you're, a fear you're, you're afraid of, of being exposed. You're afraid of bodily harm. You're afraid for whatever reason. But we know the, that fear isn't of the Lord. The Lord does not give us a spirit of fear, right? We have confidence the Lord can protect us. And we can, we can, we can trust his protection in times of vulnerability. We don't need to go to the tricks of the world to protect ourselves, Verse 3, it says, But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, why do you slay a, excuse me, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, She is my sister? And she even said herself, He is my brother. In this integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I have not done this. And God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. I like this. God doesn't intervene in Abraham's dream life or even Sarah's dream life. He intervenes in this pagan king Abimelech. Notice in this situation, the real risk behind this situation is Abraham and his sin is putting God's plan for, his, for Abraham's seed at risk. See, if, if there would have been a sexual union between Sarah and Abimelech, there could then shed light and question and doubt upon the lineage of the Messiah. God had to keep the line of the Messiah pure, and so God had to intervene. Sarah could have even been pregnant by now. And we're going to see the beauty of this is God overrides the failures of men. He appears to Abimelech, and he says, you're a dead man. He he doesn't mince words. I mean, imagine if God came to you and said, you're going to die if you keep on with this. I I found that in my own salvation experience, just a rabbit trail a bit. I remember when I gave my life to the Lord, the voice of the Lord said to me, he says, if you don't give your life to me now, you never will. Made it really easy for that decision that day. I didn't ponder anymore. I didn't go home and pontificate and pour myself over the scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. I was just like, I, was, I, I, had, to, I had to realize today was the day of salvation. And so God is working a plan in Abimelech, and he's going he's gonna to play as deadly as he needs to, but he's giving Abimelech a choice. He says, if you go on with this plan, I'm going to kill you all. I love it. Kill them all, let God sort them out. I mean, that's really what the book of Revelation says. Uh, God's a judge, amen? Um, but Abraham's the real knucklehead here, and this guy's going, hey, God, he, he calls him Lord. He, he does acknowledge him biblically as, as, as Lord, not 
capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, but he does ascribe a healthy understanding that this is the true God of the Bible in that statement. And he says, will you kill this whole righteous nation? Will you, will you exact vengeance on me? He says, I, didn't, I had no idea that this whole situation was fraudulent. So God's going to override Abraham's sin. It's comforting to Sarah. She saw the deliverance of God in this situation once before. But women, you watch your husbands fail? Mine does. My wife does. She sees me make the same mistake over and over again. And the difficulty for her is going, well, if he's not going to listen to the Lord, he's not going to listen to me. You know, does she remain silent? Does she kick and scream? Does she pack up and go to her mom's house? She needs to fall back that God is going to protect her in her position of submission. We covered all that a couple weeks back. And so we don't have a record of a fight or anything like that along these lines. But I mean, women, you got to let your husbands fail because they're learning. But you, you understand, you're covered. God's got you. His sovereignty is going to protect you through this. You know, God knows us. And praise God, he overrides our faulty thinking. He overrides often our behavior. You know, his plan may include us, but it's not dependent on us. God is going to accomplish his plan. As we're going to see, he's going to accomplish the plan for the seed of Abraham. But the real question is, is do you want to participate in the plan God has for the ministry he's included you in? Right? One of the things that's harmful to your flesh, in a sense, is God doesn't need you ever. Right? If I fail here as a pastor, right, uh, God will raise someone else up. If I fail in my ministry, if I fail at this, fail at that, God's always got a plan to do what he wants to do where he wants to do it. You guys know the story of, of Esther. If you're taking notes, Esther chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. <clears throat> it says, And Mordecai told them to answer Esther, Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise from the Jews, or for the Jews, from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. The reality is, is God wants to use you, and we get to participate. And the, the real question is, is are we ready in season and out of season, to give an answer for the reason for the hope that lies within. Maybe this was a situation where he could have really witnessed to King Abimelech. We don't know. Luke 12. You guys know this verse. It says, Now when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Oftentimes, you and I are going to find ourselves in fearful situations where you're like, well, should I be quiet about my faith and just not tip the apple cart? Or should I open my mouth and say what the Lord is prompting me to say? Do you look for those opportunities that God has placed you in. I, I found it just in my experience when I had COVID-19, I was in the, the ICU. Maybe it was the drug speaking, or maybe it was the Lord, but I just realized I wasn't there for me. As much as it was about me, it was also, I'm in a place of death and dying and despair at the height of the pandemic. And I saw these, these, these nurses overwhelmed. I saw these doctors utterly confused. And so they, would, they knew I was a pastor. Some would just do the bare minimums to keep me alive and leave the room as fast as possible, but some would come at night and talk to me about what's going on in their faith walk. I spent, I spent a good hour or so talking to my, my doctor, who's a professing Muslim, 
who was married to a Christian woman. And he was talking. He's like, man, things are clicking off. And, and I was just really encouraging him. I just said, keep reading your word. You know, I just took every shot the Lord gave me in that moment. Like, why was I going to hide and stop doing ministry just because I was, a, I was a mess? You know, maybe I said some things wrong or kind of garbled because of all the meds they had me on. But I just was praying and looking for those opportunities. But there's always that opportunity where if I, if I, if I talk to the wrong nurse, maybe she'll give me the hot shot. Maybe, maybe she'll pinch the, uh, the IV on me or something. I, I, I would like to think not, but, you know, there's always that voice that says, just shh, be quiet about your faith because it'll be harmful for you to say or do something. I watched a, a short this morning, actually. It, they were interviewing a Catholic priest, and they asked him, do you wear your priestly vestments every day? He says, no, not every day. But when I go into a new community and I wear my priestly vestments, people come up and smile, and they appreciate me there, and they, they acknowledge me. They're not hostile towards me. And, and this is Catholicism, which we may not agree with, but I will give them credit for this priest going, I'm going to be ostentatious about who I am in my role, because it did bring comfort to the areas he's called to minister to. And I think we have a lot to learn from that, where we out ourselves as the Jesus freak in the situation. Like, you're not going to get invited to the parties and the bars anymore. Just realize you're not going to make friends if you step out. But you're going to get the phone calls. You're going to get the midnight talks. You're going to get those, those side conversations where they may not like you, but they know they're going to need you when you put your faith out there. So he chunks it. But God's in control. That's the beauty of this situation. It's just so covered in grace. He knew Abraham was going to fail. He's not going to fault Abimelech. But he does warn Abimelech that adultery is a sin against God himself. Well, he's a heathen. Why should he... he be so concerned with heathen committing adultery. Well, you know, marriage is an institution that goes back to before the fall. God acknowledges a sexual union is between one married woman and one married man. They're married to each other, too, by the way. Not to, <laughs> got to stress that. But he's saying if you were to, to violate that covenant by taking another man's wife, it'll be chalked up as sin and sin against God. Really, although sin has consequences with other people, it first and foremost is a sin against God himself. There's a protection over this scenario found in the Abrahamic covenant where God says, I will bless those who bless Abraham and I will curse those who curse Abraham. And we're seeing that this is being meted out and God's real serious about this adultery topic. And I, I recall King David. He had a problem with women. He, we know the story, him and Bathsheba. He took Uriah's wife and impregnated her and fabricated a, a way to get rid of Uriah and murdered him. And remember Nathan the prophet comes up to him, confronts him on his sin, And what did David say? I had bad, bad upbringing. I had bad potty training. I have PTSD. I didn't know what I was doing. I slipped and fell. No, he doesn't excuse it. He just says this. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. Well, what about Bathsheba? What about Uriah? Yeah, but he had to make the account weighty because... What does sin do to you and I? It separates us from God, right? I mean, how often do we like to read our Bibles guilty? How many of us go to our prayer closet in a state of shame and guilt? And the Lord doesn't want anything to separate us from him. That's precisely why he came to die. He came to die for your sin. And in this case, the sin of adultery is something that does separate us from each other, and it does separate us from our God. 
And it applies to the heathen world, too. You know, the heathen can have a burdened conscience. You look at our mental health crisis. I, I don't like that term. I like the use of the term unresolved personal conflict. The world has it. And they've turned to medication. They've turned to psychobabble. They turned to blame shifting. But it doesn't absolve them of a guilty conscience. If you and I were to create a pill that would give you a clean conscience, we'd be a millionaire in five minutes. Right? But what's the only thing that can clear a guilty conscience? And that's what? The blood of Jesus Christ. I want to go to Psalm 51. I just like the way this is worded for us. Psalm 51. It says... A psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him and after he had gone into Bathsheba. How would you like to have our worship songs like that? You know, oh, the guy wrote this after he slept with his friend's wife. We're going to sing this in church today. Well, that's what the psalms were. You know, the Holy Spirit wanted to make sure you and I understood the motive of the writing of this. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according... To the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in my mother. Excuse me, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. I like that. What does Jesus say? He who's been forgiven much forgives much. And that's our message is we're just one beggar telling the other beggars where the bread's at. Okay. When I go to jail, I find the guy who's got the best lawyer, you know, like, hey, what's your legal counsel? Or the guy who's in jail, I'm like, I don't want your lawyer because you're in jail. You know, the idea is, is we need an advocate. We need somebody. We need a message. And, and that's our message is the message of reconciliation with God where I was a knucklehead. I was a bonehead. I was ignoramus. I was a sinner. I was filthy. And then the Lord, in his tender mercies and loving kindness, decided he was going to forgive my sin. But it says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. How's your joy meter today? Are you mad at somebody? Are you grumpy? Right? Did you not get what you want? Did you do something? Did you steal that lollipop in third grade? And the Holy Spirit's saying, confess it. Just deal with it. Right? Anyone here have a guilty conscience? What if we were to post all of our thoughts up on the TV? You know? The Lord wants to blot it out. Let's keep going here. It says... Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise, for you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering, that they shall offer bulls on your altar. See, what David realized is the blood of goats and bulls did not cover his sin. They were to point him to who was going to deal with his sin, and that was the Messiah. He understood blood atonement. He understood the necessity of God dying in his place. But are you brokenhearted over your sin? Do you understand you and I grieve the Holy Spirit? That we do things against God himself and it separates us from him and he doesn't like the broken fellowship. 
Some of us may not have that joy in our relationship today because we're just holding on to bitterness or guilt or, or some kind of transgression that keeps you from the fullness and the richness of, of experiencing the presence of God. You know, the word of God should bring sorrow to you. It should bring it to me, right? It needs to, it needs to open up those areas that we're not allowing the lordship of Christ into our life, where there's a lock on the closet door. Parents, you understand this. You go into your kid's room, and where's the place they don't want you to look? Under the bed? There's my cereal bowls. That's where all the Mountain Dew cans end up, right? Underneath the bed, in the closet, you know the stashed places, and that's exactly when the Lord comes into our life. He takes the searchlight of his word and goes, oh, I'm the Lord of that part of your life too. Can I have that? And you're like, no, no, no. See, that sin, that sin, I've been using that. It brings the room together. Kind of looks nice. We, we decorate our sin. No, it's like, no, 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 no. But notice what God tells Abimelech about Abraham. He says, Abraham's a prophet. Oh, man, the Holy Spirit, he outs us, doesn't he? You can't hide the Holy Spirit in you. Have, you. have you ever had somebody just like recognize God in you by the way they just like, man, I just really feel at peace around you. I, feel the, I just feel different. Or another believer's like, hey, are you a believer? Right? The Holy Spirit will out you. I, I remember even before I walked with the Lord, people would come up to me and I was just, wherever I worked, I was the sin eater. I don't know if it was because I was such a bad gossip then, too, where people just wanted to tell me all their dirt. But some people would come to me and just be like, I just sensed I had to come and tell you about this. You know, I don't know if something was going on in my heart. I don't, but some people will just, they'll be comforted. Like, God will send them to you, knowing that you may have the answer. So what is the role of a prophet? We know the role of a priest is to what? Represent people to God. Right? He would go into the presence of the Lord with his, you know, his, his ephod and that whole rigmarole, and he would pray for the 12 tribes. But a prophet represents God to the people. So you and I bring heaven to earth in our ministry. We, we're prophets not in the sense we're rewriting the Bible, but the Lord has given us the Bible to bring verbally into the work, school, and play that he's placed us. We're the calm voices of reason. We're the salt. We're the light. We're the influencing factor God has decided to use. And we represent God to the people. But just like Abraham, you and I fail in doing that, don't we? Self-preservation will, will do that to you. It'll cause you to shirk back. It'll get you to be self-conscious. Right? The Bible says what? We're only to what? Die to ourself. You know, we, we see in Revelation that the saints, they didn't regard their life. They, they, they witnessed. They were martyrs because they had no regard for their life. The Bible tells us the fear of man brings a snare. And if you're not fearing God... You're going to be afraid of men. What, is, what can man do to you? The worst thing Satan could ever do to you and I is what? Kill us. Do you know you're going to be with the Lord if you die? Well, what about all my stuff? What about my kids? What about my this? And what about my, hey, what about God? What about their salvation? If you don't speak truth in a situation, and, 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 and I don't want to ever indicate you're going to be the last person to ever speak anything about Jesus to somebody. God, God's plan for salvation is much bigger than us. But the idea there is take the shot. You, you, may, you may never know who you're going to meet in heaven. When we, we get to heaven, you're going to meet people that will be like, I heard you talking at work one day, and I listened. I remember you confronted me about this in my life, and I hated you. But then I thought about it, and I gave my life to the Lord. Like you got to think future tense that the person you're not sharing your faith with may get saved, 
come back to you and realize you had answers for them the whole time, but because of your fear of man or the unconfessed sin in your life or whatever you're dealing with prevented you from being honest with them, they're going to be like, that was wrong. And I've had this in my life. I used to be a amateur pharmaceutical representative, unlicensed, and my clients were my family. And one of my family members was the first member of our family to be a professing, spirit-filled, charismatic Christian. And his life was full of divorce and adultery and drunkenness. And he, he was always self-medicating. And I had a product that he appreciated. And he'd meet me in bars and he would pay me off well. And the whole time I was giving him comfort of the world, when he could have been giving me the comfort of eternity. But because he knew there was the failure and he was living in compromise, he never shared his faith with me. Praise the Lord, another family member had the audacity in his failure to overcome his failure and be like, hey, let me just tell you about the Lord. But I just re recall that going, I don't ever want to be that to someone else where my failure in light of my faith walk is going to keep me from sharing eternity with somebody See, Christian, God factored in your stupidity when he chose you. Write that down. The gifts and callings that God places upon a man or a woman of God are what? Without repentance. Praise the Lord. See, he gives you gifts and callings. They're not of you. You can't pick your own gifting and calling. You can't. God gives them to you. So when you hide it to yourself, you think it's yours. No, you need to discharge your gift. You need to use your gift wherever. See, Abraham in his failure did not forfeit his calling, did he? Sometimes I think if I fail enough, God won't use me. Like I have to qualify myself like God hired me. We treat God like a boss, like, oh, three strikes and I'm out. He's going to write me up, give me a pink ticket. You know what I find when I fail the worst? God lines up the shot for me. He brings in someone who's worse off than me and goes, Ben, talk to them about me. Get your eyes off yourself onto me and onto their salvation because the Bible tells us, I love this, I love this, it's those who refresh others, they themselves will what? Be refreshed. And I find as I've become this conduit of the Holy Spirit into ministering the word of God to somebody, it quickens me, Right? It, it, it helps me stay in the game. And I find that Christians who don't evangelize, they're miserable, right? When you keep it to yourself, when you're not the conduit God intends for you, you're going to find yourself, you become self-absorbed, right? You become the dead sea. The dead sea is so chock full of nutrients, it's dead because there's no outlet to the dead sea. See, the Sea of Galilee is nourished by the same river but the water goes through Galilee and it ends in the Dead Sea. And so when you're constantly discharging what the Lord has given you, you stay fresh. So Abraham, notice what he says. He says, when this man prays for you, you're going to live. You know, Christian, the Bible says this, the prayers of a righteous man avails much. Do we believe that? I'm in a season right now where I'm really challenging myself to, as the Lord shows me things, to pray it through. Right? Speak where he tells me to speak, but quietly in my prayer closet, draw from the power of God to see the power of God work, because I can... I can get frustrated. Just uh, let's use an, a, a parental analogy, shall we? There's a certain age where children developed what we call selective hearing. Right? Anyone have kids that their ears only work when they hear the refrigerator open or uh, <laughs> they hear the TV come on? Like, right? You know, your kids know what they want to hear, but then you're just like, you try to say something like, pick up your clothes. Go clean your room, and they just, they just stare at you. And you just want to shout louder and louder. So I realize, like, I have one kid, unless I scream it at them, they just they, they can't get it. But 
I find that in the ministry is I, if I try to just shout and stammer, all I do is create more deafness in people. My pastor would joke. He says, I'm like a shot of Novocaine. It hurts going in the first time, but you go numb quick. Right. And so as I challenge my prayer life going, okay, I see something that God wants to do in a person's life. So let me relax knowing the Holy Spirit's going to produce this. So I'm going to just, in my disciplined or lack of disciplined prayer closet, I'm just going to just pray this situation through. And sometimes I really get a glimpse where that person I'm praying for comes to a conclusion that they need to be doing this or they are going to start doing this. I'm like, praise the Lord. It just saves me a lot of words. The prayers of a righteous man. And if you are born again, Christian, if you are truly saved and the Holy Spirit that brought Christ back to life dwells in you, man, you have a clear connection to God. Amen? God listens to his kids. We talked about that the last couple weeks, the ministry of intercession. Truly, Abraham may have had a reputation on the block because of what happened with Sodom and Gomorrah in the last chapter in the deliverance of Lot, in the fact that Lot came out of Abraham's camp. I'm sure the town was talking, or they may have heard the stories of when Abraham defeated the king of Sodom. I'm sure Abraham had a reputation. And maybe Abimelech was waiting for Abraham to demonstrate this godly character that he was famous for, but in the face of fear, he shirked back. And maybe Abimelech really was like, in his heart, blaspheming, God because of the failure of God's people. He says, Now therefore restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. He didn't tell Abimelech, maybe you should pray. He says, have Abraham pray for you. God's connecting Abraham to Abimelech. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants and told all these things in their hearing, and the men were very much afraid. Ooh, I like that. See, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Something's going on in this nation that Abimelech was king of. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I offended you that you have brought on me in my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you have in view that you have done this thing? See, obviously there's a plague of some sorts falling on this nation. We're going to see that it's going to lead to childlessness amongst the other women. But Abimelech demonstrates more fear of God in these statements than Abraham does in this narrative. And Abraham is getting rebuked by the world. Have you ever been rebuked by the world? See, the world hates you. But they know when you're not acting Christ-like, they're suffering because of it. You ever been rebuked at work for being the crumb bum there? You show up late, you leave early, you steal the toilet paper and the pens, and everyone's like, well, you're the person of God here. Oh, you're the worst person at work, but you can't work Sundays? You know, it, it's, it's just the world sees us because the Lord has commissioned the world to look at us. You ever feel that you live your life in a fishbowl now that you're walking with Jesus? Everybody knows you're a believer. Somehow, through reputation or through your behavior, they hear you yelling at your kids while you're listening to praise and worship. Right? They watch you fight with each other in the car on your way to church. Or am I alone in all this? Don't, don't feel like I'm singling anyone out here. We're all people here. But the world watches us. They want to see what we have is real, or is it superficial? And, you know, what bugs me, sometimes the world is right, while me as a child of God is wrong. When you see the world have better marriages than us, when you see the world creating and working in, a, in a, an environment that has more integrity than we do, you know what a great example is? I look at people who go to movies. People who love movies show up early. 
They get their drinks, they get their popcorn, they watch the previews, and they sit quietly and they watch the movie. If you've been in church culture, the old-timers show up halfway through worship, walk in front of everybody to get their coffee, sit down, they don't sing, and they just come for the good part, the message. You're like, why can't you operate like you're going to the movies, but in the house of God, right? Well, the world is often right, and we're, as God's people, we, we, we sin. You know, Jesus tells us, he, Jesus didn't send us out to go witnessing. He doesn't tell us to compartmentalize our life. He says, I'm sending you out as witnesses. Watch my time here. And he says, whether or not you choose to, you are bearing witness of me. You know, the world looks at our tax returns. They look at our browsing history. Our cable company sees the movies we watch. They read your credit card report. They read your check register. They look at your prescriptions uh, you take. You know, when you go in as a believer, and if you're doing things you're not supposed to, your liquor store clerk is going to see that. Your bartender is going to see that. Your blackjack dealer at your favorite casino. Where are there, is, there, is there an area in the life where the world is clearly watching you fail? Verse 11, And Abraham said, Because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will kill me on account of my wife. So, not only does this fear lead to Abraham lying, it also leads him to act presumptuously. See, he didn't have all the information that he needed, so he drew a faulty conclusion, and he made a bad judgment concerning Abimelech and his people. We do that, right? We, we ascribe, because we don't have all the information, we just presume. I, I look at the story of, Jonah and Nineveh. Jonah didn't like the Ninevites. He didn't want them to be saved. He was prejudiced against them. So he, he's just like, I'm not going. Because at the end of the story, remember, he says, I knew, God, you were going to save these people, these Assyrians, these dirty Gentiles, you were going to save. Like, he was going to not do his ministry. And all he did, if you look, at, you look at Jonah, what did he do? He shows up and he's just like, hey, guys, 40 days are all going to die. I'm out. And he launched a revival. He didn't even give him the gospel, the good news. Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life. He loves you. Come to Jesus. He's your boyfriend. He'll be everything you need him to be. No, he says, God's going to kill you. And the Holy Spirit took it and ran with it. They even, the animals repented in ashes and sackcloth. Fear will lead you to act presumptuously and and ascribe character traits that aren't true. He doesn't know. Or maybe he knew very little of Abimelech. Either way, because I thought the fear of God isn't in this place, they'll kill me. Hey, don't ever get into ministry to make friends. Right? I have all the friends I'm going to make. You know, I'm almost 50, and I have my three friends. They like me. My kids like me for now. They're not teens yet. I'm enjoying that. But don't ever look to the people you're going to minister to for encouragement or for them to reciprocate love back to you. But be surprised when you do open your trap to somebody who needs to hear it and they're like, man, thank you. It does happen. Verse 12, but indeed, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. So he's saying it's a half-truth. But a half-truth is what? A full lie. Abraham seems to have rehearsed this scenario. The seed of deception was sown way back before he really started walking with the Lord back in Ur. You know, rather than praying and seeking the wisdom of God, he was real quick to pull out this old trick out of his robe here. We can do that, right? We often imagine a scenario that we'll potentially fall in, and we'll use our own cunning 
and our own tricks to devise an alibi or a half-truth to cover us. And oftentimes you find when you do that, you create a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like getting an emergency credit card. You know what I find when you have an emergency credit card? Your life is full of emergencies all of a sudden. The emergency bag of chips, the emergency Amazon purchase, it's on sale. It's going to go off sale. i got to buy it, right? You can see the sin I deal with. <laughs> see, he explains himself in verse 13, And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, This is your kindness that you should do for me. In every place, wherever we go, say of me, he is my brother. So this goes way, way back. This is their spiel. This is their thing. He answers a matter before he has all the information. Right? He knew that her beauty would get him into trouble. So Abimelech took sheep, oxen, and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham, and he restored Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abraham, uh, excuse me, Abimelech said, See, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Then to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Thus she was rebuked. You know, in the last story, Abraham refused the spoil of the king of Sodom, but he's going to accept and receive this blessing from Abimelech. This would have created a greater offense if he would have refused it, so he accepts it. And so sometimes, Christian, let the world bless you. You know, let the world give to you, ascribe value to you, receive it. Don't make a big issue. Don't pull false humility. Oh, the Lord takes care of all my needs. Let, let them bless you. But make sure there's no strings attached. But you know what Abimelech is doing? He's ascribing value to Sarah. I mean, the price of a slave was 30 pieces of silver. He says, here's 1,000 pieces of silver. He overpaid. He gave them all this, this stuff because he sees the value of this woman, right? He values her. And he's, in a way, covering the sin of Abraham, right? Abraham sins in public. They're going to restore things in public. But the language here in the Hebrew indicates Abimelech tells Sarah to go purchase a veil. You know what this means in our language? Hey, sweetheart, go put some clothes on. Cover up your beauty so other men don't enjoy it. That's what he's telling her. Like, you're stumbling me, sister. Put some clothes on, you know? That's what he's telling I mean, imagine how beautiful. We're going to see her in heaven. But, oh, man. I could, okay, Abe, I'm going I'm to cut you some slack here, bro. Like, you had a righteous foxy mama here. And it was a rebuke to Sarah. Some, someday it is sad when the world has to rebuke God's people. Verse 17, so Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants. Then they bore children, for the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So obviously something unusual and supernatural has occurred in Abimelech's house preventing the conception of children. And Abraham's prayer reversed the plague. Let's recap. Abraham, a man of God, he has matured well in the 25 years we've been talking about him. He gets this pop quiz, he fails. But notice God allowed the failure as a diagnostic moment. He didn't do this to heap condemnation upon Abraham and shame Abraham but to show Abraham where he needs to continue to grow. Abraham is under construction. See, duration as a Christian doesn't mean you're mature, right? Just because you've been in church for 100 years doesn't mean you've grown. just means you've been around too long. And oftentimes the failure in a Christian's life is as they age and they cool off and they stop being so obedient, Ah, I've been a Christian for two million years. I'm okay with that. I'll have a glass of wine. I'll be good. No, you need to, you need to realize, hey, man, you've got to continue to walk that narrow path because there's traps. The situation didn't change Abraham. It revealed who Abraham was. Abraham needed to see himself accurately as God sees him. 
He is a man of great faith, but he also has this fear in him that allows him to give in to weakness, which shows us God is faithful when we are what? Faithless. I like that. I need to know that about God. You know, Romans 4 tells us it was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. That means Abraham was not righteous because of him. He was righteous because God accounted it to him. He's righteous because God says he was. Abraham's righteousness, right? Abraham is a depraved man. We have this doctrine, if you are a doctrine person, total depravity. Now, I don't believe total depravity says we are the worst we can be, because that's not true. I haven't murdered anyone yet, physically. I'll get there if I don't fear the Lord. You know, the idea of I'm not the worst I can ever be. I believe when we talk about total depravity, it just means we're not as good as we're supposed to be. Okay? Abraham needed grace. 2 Corinthians, if you're taking notes, in chapter 5, Paul writes this. Therefore, from now on, we guard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and have given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Psalm 103, we'll end here. Verse 8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. I love it. I love it. Underline that. Underline it in the Bible of the person sitting to the left and to the right. God does not deal with us according to our iniquities. <laughs> For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward us that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so that the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Christian, you and I are under construction. You will be under construction until the rapture happens or until you go to your funeral. Do not be discouraged, okay? God disciplines those he calls his sons and daughters. He's working on you because he loves you. He's creating Christ in you. And sometimes we have those ingrained old habits that he's got a really deep root. So, so don't feel ashamed when the word of God stings you, when the word of God comes against you, when the word of God reveals to you, you rejoice, right? And, and let the Lord do what he needs to do. Don't let fear motivate you to do dumb things. But we serve a God of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, a hundred chances. So with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ministry of reconciliation. That's precisely why you sent your son to reconcile us to you, because we couldn't do it. We love you, Lord. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.